Thank you for listening to audio content from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. For more information or resources, visit us online at southcities.church. So Lord, uh, last week we heard that those who trust in Jesus and love all the saints, we know that our eyes have been opened by your Spirit. And so what we're asking for now is, again, fuller color, fuller context to see more clearly, more beautifully, more comprehensively how good you've been to us in Jesus. So please come now and work in your church by your spirit, through your word, for the sake of your name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, uh, this is a, a really popular passage So today we're going to see something that I'm sure you've seen before. This isn't your first time reading Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, if you've been in church for like three weeks or more, probably. Uh, And my prayer for you and for us is that we don't lose our wonder over what these uh, verses reveal to us about what's true of reality. My prayer for us is that we don't do what the church actually in Ephesus did in Revelation, which was lose their first love for all that's been done for us in Christ. That's a real danger when we're familiar with these things that we can lose the wonder and kind of become ho-hum about the amazing realities of the gospel. I don't want us to get bored with being spiritually alive. And I'm sorry for all the baby metaphors, but I only have one life that I live, and it's kind of a big deal right now. So... Little baby Remy, right, she's baby number five for us. And so you could say, well, ho-hum, right, four already. (laughs) What's number five? You've done this before. But her being born to us is not boring. (laughs) It is precious. It's amazing. It's a miracle. And I don't say this lightly with how much I love her, but how much more spiritual, eternal life is precious and amazing. And I would just say, if we really understood what has happened to us and the reality that we really live in, we would never be bored or apathetic or distracted with silly secondary issues in our Christian lives simply because we've lost the wonder of how the gospel makes us alive. And so I just want to actually give you 30 seconds right now just to bow your heads. And all I want you to do is to say, Lord, help me see what's here. Just help me see what's here. Help my heart see and feel what's here this morning. Then we'll dive into this passage. So, Lord, do come now and answer all the prayers coming to you right now to open our eyes to see what's here and to make our hearts feel and worship how they should. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's dive in here. Dead and walking in sin. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. 
You are following the course of this world. You are following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So right away, Paul just hits it, right? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And now the Greek here, uh, the Greek here for the word dead actually means dead. So if you're wondering, there's some mid meaning. It's exactly like what, what Bob prayed. It just means dead, not alive spiritually, not breathing spiritually, no signs of life spiritually. Right? There was no way to kind of put an AED, right, a defibrillator on us and, and shock us back into life because there was no life in us to be regained. That's the picture here. And the proof of our deadness spiritually was where we were walking, where we were walking. We were walking in sin and trespasses. The metaphor for walking is just how we live, what we do, who we are. So the idea here is we were just happily going along in ways that God says are sinful and will kill us and will ruin us and will make us guilty of eternal wrath. Walking as if we knew better than God. We had better ideas than God about how to go about things. And of course we did. Of course we did. This passage says it's the most natural thing in the world. Literally following like sheep headed to the slaughter, following the course of this world. The course of this world just means what seems most natural in the world. <laughs> if you're going to ask someone like what's normal and natural, that, that's what this phrase means. So if you look around surprised that the world often individually and collectively does things that go against God's good and beautiful design for salvation and for human flourishing, Paul would just say, you don't see spiritual reality. Right? Of course, that's the way the world is. Of course, that's what's happening out there. And Satan and his demonic forces are active to keep whispering and influencing individuals and societies away from God. It says they were following the prince of the power of the air. And I don't know a better way to understand this, but that Satan has real authority and that its effects can be felt everywhere. Thinks that's why he says air, because what is more present than air, right? There's air here, there's air there, and there's everywhere that people are alive and breathing. And he says Satan has real authority and it's kind of everywhere in this world. 1 John 5.19 says it similarly, but just a little bit different emphasis. It says, we know that we are from God, but the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And that verse has the idea of a world just being rocked to sleep in the arms of the devil. That's what the picture is there. Now I do a lot of rocking of babies right now, and it is a horrible and terrifying and analogy and imagery to think of Satan just calming and swaying and shushing the whole world to sleep so that they never wake up to the gospel. Right? It's like he's just like, shh, it's okay. Right? The conviction starts to come, shh, it's okay. You don't need to worry about that. Right? They start to feel something, start to sense God's presence, shh, it's okay. Just go back to your habits. Right? What, a, what a horrible place to be. And that's what's at work right now 
in the world around us. And Paul just wants to be clear, that's who you were. We were all there with them, right? Verse 3, look at it. He says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is a dose of humility for the church in Ephesus. As they look out at the world, they remember that's right where we were. (laughs) That's who we were. That should stir up, right, as we look out on the world, some deep compassion for the lost. Even as we seek to live in the truth and love the truth and act out the truth, we shouldn't go, well, we're up here and you're down here, right? What's the difference between here and here? Grace. (laughs) That's it. That's who we were. That's where we were. It says our flesh, then he expands, our bodies and our minds, which is kind of all of us, we're all in on the ways of the world and the devil. It paints a picture of a happy partnership. In other words, we weren't more spiritually sensitive than anybody else. We weren't more uh, discerning than anybody else. There was nothing about us that made us kind of a better choice than anybody else. We weren't kicking and screaming against our sin. We were happily all in with it. That's what Paul's saying here. All of mankind, apart from Jesus, is in a happy partnership with our sin and Satan. It's the air we breathe. It's the road we walk. And Paul says here, it's deserving of eternal wrath. It's the picture he's painting. So now you can start to see and start to see why at the end of chapter one, right, Paul went to these great lengths to describe the immeasurable greatness of his power towards you who believe in the resurrection and rule of Christ. Well, now we see why we need that power, right? Bob gave us some analogies in his prayer, but right, what I have here is that we don't just need a little alarm clock to wake us up from some bad ideas or some bad things. We don't just need a little enlightenment to see Jesus because we were already more spiritually sensitive. We need resurrection power to make dead people alive. <laughs> like That's why you pray for your neighbors and don't just talk to your neighbors. Right? That's why you pray for your family members and your classmates and your co-op mates right? and your workplace employee mates. Right? You pray for everyone around you. You don't just talk to them because they need resurrection power. Not just more reason. Not just an alarm clock to wake them up. They need the living resurrection power of Christ to come and open their eyes. So that's why Paul at the end of chapter 1 said, this is the power towards you. Because I'm about to show you how badly you need that much power. So two things we've seen in this first section. Number one, we are great sinners who deserve wrath. Number two, we have a complete inability to do anything about it. That's what it means to be dead. Point number two, made alive by great love. So in light of that picture, let's answer three questions in verses four to nine. Question number one, what did God do? Question number two, How did he do it? In what manner did he do it? And question number three, why did God do it? So what did he do? How did he do it? And why did he do it? So first, what did God do? Look at verses five to seven. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. 
You raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So what did God do? God worked resurrection power in Christ. If you're sitting here believing, you've been raised from the dead. Been raised up from the deadness of your sins. And he works resurrection power so that we're still alive together with Christ. We were dead. He made us alive. The best picture I think that God gives us to help us understand how extreme this is in the Gospels comes in the story of Lazarus. Right? Lazarus was dead for a few days. And he was so dead that he smelled bad. Right? That's how dead he was. There's no doubting what had happened. And Jesus shows up and says, I'm the resurrection and the life. All who believe in me, you'll never die. And then what he does is inexplicably, he says, Lazarus, come out. Can you imagine being there in that moment? You're going, he, he smells bad, right? We can smell him. He's, he's not going to come walking out. But he does. <laughs> he comes walking out of the grave. And that's the picture here. That's how dead we were. God works his resurrection power to make us alive. He opens our eyes by the Holy Spirit. Like you probably have a memory of that or a memory of how it kind of increased and you realized you were trusting him where all of a sudden Jesus wasn't boring, right? Or foolish or ridiculous, but also you're like, he's kind of beautiful. <laughs> he's kind of wonderful. He's, he's kind of everything that I need. The Spirit does that. Are you believing that today? He's beautiful. He's wonderful. He's all you need. Then you've been raised from the dead. Maybe God wants to do that in you right now if you've never seen that before. And not only that, not only are we alive, but he takes us from the lowest of lows, dead, buried in our sins, being rocked to sleep by the devil, to the highest of highs, seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And he says that while you're sitting in your chairs right now, you're actually seated with Christ. Isn't that crazy to think about? We don't, we don't get the full reality right now, but we're with Christ. Because we're in him where he is, we are. We're seated with him in the heavenly places. From the lowest of lows to the highest of highs. Part of his kingdom. Truly resurrected and truly seated with him. And it just keeps getting better. Lowest of lows, saved, alive, seated. What's he going to do for all eternity? This, this was the phrase that blew my mind over and over again this summer on my patio reading it. Here's what it says he wants to do for all of eternity. Show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness to us. That's what God wants to do for all of eternity. Should blow us away. I thought about it all summer. I don't think I yet understand the glory of it, right? I'm a sinner. I have rebelled. I've just been following the world in sin in Satan's arms. I've loved it. You've loved your sin. We've loved the partnership, been dead. And God says, I'm going to make you alive. I chose you before the foundation of the world, redeemed you, adopted you. I'm going to call you. I'm going to make you alive. I'm going to save you from your sins. And then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to spend all of eternity showing you how deep is my grace. 
I'm going to spend all of eternity showing you how much I love you, how much I'm for you. I'm just going to lavish you with kindness for the rest of eternity because I love you. And that's what brings me glory. That's what I'm going to do. It's good news to be saved. It's good news to be alive. It's good news to not be dead in our sins. How good is the news that the God of the universe says, for the rest of eternity, I just want to show you my riches of grace. That's crazy stuff. That's crazy love. So how did he do it? Did he require us to earn it or purchase it or get it somehow? Verses 8 to 9 says, For by grace, by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. Remember right before this in verse 5, Paul interrupted his sentence to interject, By grace you've been saved. He wanted to say it once even before he got here. So how does he save us? He's make us earn it, make us do some sort of program, make us hit a certain level of Christianity. He does it by grace and as a gift. What is grace? Undeserved kindness. Just undeserved kindness. We don't deserve it, but he says, I'm just going to do this. That's what a gift is. It's something to be received, not earned or purchased. If you purchased your own salvation, who would you worship? You, <laughs> right? If you purchased your own salvation, you would, purchase, you would worship you. But Paul doesn't let it be ambiguous at all. He says, you've been saved by grace, undeserved kindness. It's a gift. And then he just says really clearly, in case you haven't gotten it yet, this is not of your own doing. <laughs> to which if we believe, verses 1 to 3, we say, of course it's not. I was dead. How could I have saved myself with a mind and a body completely sold into sin and Satan? Which means What? We can't boast. There's no boasting in the Christian faith. There's no boasting in the Christian life. There's only thankfulness and worship. So kids, let me tell you what I mean. Imagine it's your birthday or Christmas and someone gives you a gift and you you take it and then you say, what I'd like to do is tell everyone here in the room all the great things about myself and why I'm deserving of such a gift, right? <laughs> and how good I've been all year to receive such a gift, right? The, the, the whole room would be like, whoa, this got weird, right? What are you doing, right? You just received a gift, right? It'd be crazy. Who do we thank when we get a gift? We thank the one who gave it to us. And so this is what Paul's saying. We thank God for his gift of saving us by grace. Lastly, why does he do it? Why does, why does God save us? Certainly one answer from chapter 1 is to the praise of his glory. He wants the glory for who he is in saving us. I'm going to come back to that. But there's another answer in this text that should take our breath away. Look at verse 4, which talks about why he does this. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive. So why did God do this? Because he's merciful and he loves us. You can think of his character in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious. 
That's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will by no means clear the guilty. And so because he loves you, this is his character, his mercy, and his love. But he can't clear the guilty. He says, I'm sending Jesus so that my character of mercy and love can be on display for my people. And I'm not going to have to clear the guilty because he's going to take their guilt. This is who he is. Mercy and love being together here are really informative. Right? What's mercy? Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown to someone who could actually rightly be punished. So this is teaching us that the love God has for us is not because we were so lovely or lovable. Right? I needed mercy. You needed mercy. This is what is amazing about the love and mercy of God. We were rebels. We were walking in sin against him. But God, rich in mercy and because of his great love, made us alive. He's put his love on us and we were running away from him. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is hard for us to understand. Um, it's so different than the version of love we see today, right? Where we love something because it's lovely or lovable or attractive. Right? It's kind of the Instagram, social media world. It's always been there, but that just kind of puts it on display. Let's make ourselves into the most presentable, perfect version of ourselves so that the world might see us as lovely. They might see us as lovely. They might see us as worthy. They might see us as something. Right? Isn't that an awful foundation to stand on? And that is horrible. An awful place to try to exist. You got to keep earning it and keep looking good and keep deserving it, right? Of course, our world is hopeless and lonely and anxious when that's the kind of foundation of love that they're standing on. But perhaps this morning, without saying that aloud, that's kind of how you feel about your relationship with God. You have to keep earning it, to keep looking good, have to try to keep deserving it. But Paul would just say, that's not how this relationship started, and that's not how it works now. It's not. Instead, the love of God loves us when we're unlovable and in need of mercy, and slowly, over time, makes us more lovely by his grace. He just loves you. Who do you know? Maybe your parents, probably, right? If you've got good parents, right? Just someone who just loves you because they just love you. Right? And then the longer you get in marriage, you just love them because you just love them. Or the longer you're in a friendship, you just love them because you just love them. Right? There's no reasons or earning attached. Right? Those are the, the best pictures, but it's so hard for us to get that before the foundation of the world, he just loved us. And so he just did this, made us his own, redeemed us by his blood, keeps us by his spirit so he can bring us into his presence forever. Just a tidal wave of undeserved grace, mercy, and love. And this is why, because of who he is and the way he loves us, this is why it always has to end to the praise of his glory. God is always working for the good of his people and the glory of his name, but we shouldn't think of to the praise of his glory like some mechanical math equation. Right? Like sometimes we talk about, about it that way, like God's glory, like, all right, I'm going to praise him now. Like God loved me, he saved me, therefore, as if I am a robot, I'm supposed to praise him and go to church and do all these things. This is like, like what he does for us. And then our response to praise his glory is like 
when you hear a clap of thunder in the night and you just stop in awe. It just happens like, whoa, that was loud. I don't know what that was. Like, I'm, a, I'm alive, right? Have you ever jumped out of bed and like landed like this? Like, okay, I'm alive. What was it? Or it's like when you stop and see a beautiful sunset that's like over the whole sky and you, you want to take a picture, but you know you're not going to get it. And you just go, whoa, what is that? Or it's like the moment at a wedding, right? It gets me every time. I did one yesterday, right? I'm standing here. It's the bride and her dad right there. It's the groom right here. And everyone else has to look back and forth because where you are, and I get to see all of it. There's <laughs> all the faces at once and just be moved like, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. Or it's like when you hear your favorite songs and you can't help but start singing and dancing. And I know some of you do that after last night. That's what it's like. It's like that. That's why it ends to the praise of his glory. Because you realize I've been saved by the riches of his mercy and his great love that I didn't deserve or earn. It's what it's like when you realize I don't have to play the game to keep earning it or looking good or deserving it. I can just rest in his love and mercy that was always there and will never change. You just react from your heart by the spirit with awe and wonder and thanks. You sing. You might even dance. You worship all to his glory that he saved you. Daniel said, why do we get together as a church? Going through the motions, trying to do self-improvement. We get together so that a bunch of us get to do that together. (laughs) Sit in awe and sing and worship and go, he saved us. (laughs) He saved you. He saved me. That's why we do corporate worship. Because we get to encourage each other. So like, this is real in your life. And in mine, that's why we do church week after week. Last point, alive and walking in Christ. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So notice verse 9, salvation is explicitly not a result of works. Notice verse 10, but you are a new creation of God created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not a result of good works. That doesn't save you. Created for good works. Let me give you an analogy again. Guess what kind it's going to be. Guess who it's going to be about. Little Remy (laughs) was born into our family really by no will of her own. She didn't like ask us beforehand. She didn't like make a plan to come into the world. Um, We love her because we love her. We love her because we love her. That's how it is with all our kids. We love them because we love them. We have since before they were born. It's not up for grabs. It's not a result of works. But our deep desire for them is that our love and care for them would help them realize their gifts, the unique ways that God's put them together. And because they're now alive, that they walk in ever-increasing, ever-maturing ways. Walking, I said earlier, in the New Testament is just an analogy for how we live And sometimes in the Christian life, what we do rather than rejoice in the gospel and look to Jesus and say, where do you want me to walk? As we look around and we say, how's everyone else walking? How's everyone else walking? I got, I'm supposed to walk like them or instead of just like looking at Jesus and being like, what's in front of me? (laughs) What does he have for me? So yesterday, right, Stone played in a tackle football game, right? So he is now able to do a lot more 
than he used to be able to. He's now able to run and keep running as people physically try to stop him from doing the running, right? That, that's the stage of life he's at. My, my daughter Iris can do these dance moves that I could never imagine she could have done when she was little. And yet I can remember for both of them, like I can still remember in my mind the first steps they took. Remember it. Iris ran away from me. Right? She's coming on a couch, holding onto the couch, and I said, boo, and she went, ah, and she just ran her first six steps. I can still remember it. Both of those first baby steps, dancing with them at wedding dances, long touchdown runs, leaps in the airs, all of it is exhilarating. It's all exhilarating. We celebrate it all because we love them and we just are enjoying their ever-increasing maturity for them and their unique gifts and abilities to the glory of God. And those physical realities are just a picture right, or a parable of what I want for them spiritually, what I want for me spiritually, what I want for us spiritually. That they would just love Jesus, know who they are in him, and then walk in whatever God has uniquely ordained for their lives as his new creations. And again, I bring this up because I think sometimes we just get stuck in the comparison game. And we look around at how other people are walking instead of rejoicing and whatever works the Lord has prepared for us. We just get upset because where we are feels like baby steps. And I want to encourage you, look at what God has done for you in Christ. Keep your eyes on him and just walk wherever he has you today. You're his new creation. He has good things for you to do that no one else in this room can do. Good things for you to do in your workplace, in your family, in your school, at your co-op, at this church, in your neighborhoods. He has ways. He wants to use your unique gifts and abilities and circumstances to shine the truth and beauty and goodness of the gospel of mercy and love into the darkness around you. No matter how small or simple the steps are, how big and complex they might feel, God has laid them before you and because he destined them before you. He's just standing there cheering you on. Go get it. <laughs> go get it. That's what I have for you. Don't, don't look around what they're doing. Just, just go do what I have for you to do. So what do you do? How do you apply this text? You again look at the gospel, praise him for his great love and mercy, and say, what's the next step? What's the next step you want me to walk in? So let me... And this with just a few questions. Do you know you're alive today? If your answer is no, I've just been praying for you all week that this might be the moment you say, I want lasting hope. I want lasting joy. I want lasting peace. I want an unshakable love. I don't want to have to feel like I have to earn it or deserve it over and over again. I want in on what Jesus has to offer. Do you know you're alive today? Do you know you were dead with no ability to save yourself? Are you amazed today that you're saved by grace? Are you amazed that you're alive and no longer in the grave? Are you amazed that it's all by grace as a gift? Are you amazed that God wants to keep showing you his kindness forever and ever and ever? Are you amazed it's all by the riches of mercy and great love? Are you amazed that you can walk in new good works not to save you, but because you've been saved in your life. Doesn't make you want to sit in silence and awe. Look at what God has done. Look at this place. Look at this people. Look around you at all these miracles of grace. 
Does it make you want to sing? Does it make you want to shout for joy? Does it make you want to worship? Does it make you want to dance? It's all by his riches of mercy and all by his great love. But with all that we've seen, how can it not end with his people saying, to the praise of the glory of your grace? To the praise of the glory of your grace. Let's pray. So Lord, we do come now and we just praise your glorious grace to us in Christ. Lord, you've been so good to us. Made us alive. By grace you've been saved, you've raised us up and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places that you could show the immeasurable riches of your grace and kindness towards us in the ages to come. We've been saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, a gift of God so that none of us would boast. And now instead of walking in the deadness and brokenness and ugliness that we used to walk in, we're alive so that we can walk in the good works that you prepared beforehand. And so, Lord, I don't know in this room exactly what those good works are that you prepared beforehand. Lord, I don't know who in here needs to be reminded of the miracle of being saved. I don't know who in here needs to be reminded that they haven't been saved because they're lovely or lovable, but because God loves them to make them lovely and lovable. But God, you know every heart in this room. You know every fear, every joy, every hope, every disappointment, every frustration, every blessing, Lord. So please come now by your spirit and make us alive and awake with wonder again at all that you've done for us and all that you plan to do for us. And help us know even now, Lord, what's the next step? What's the next step in love towards our families, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our schools, our co-ops? What's the next step of repentance to walk in? What's the sin that's been clinging so closely that we need to lay down at the foot of the cross and can do so with confidence that we are loved despite our sin? So Lord, help us know now as we come to eat and drink with Jesus, as we fellowship with him, help us to know what's the next step, what's the next work that you've prepared beforehand that we would walk in in such a way that would show that we're alive and that our God loves us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.